Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 21st of December here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, the UK and Switzerland will sign a financial trade deal later, but can it really be called a Brexit dividend? Yemen's Houthis say they'll launch more attacks as allies weigh up military action against the rebel group. And as allies call on aid commitments to Ukraine, companies say that they're stepping in as the country's plan B. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The UK and Switzerland will sign a financial services trade deal later today. Europe's two largest financial hubs are expected to agree on insurance, banking and asset management. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has the story. Bloomberg understands that Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will fly to Bern this morning to sign a trade deal with Switzerland, the world's biggest centre for offshore wealth. But the key question is whether this trade deal, the details are yet to come, is better than the equivalence arrangement that the EU has with the Swiss. The new Bern Financial Services Agreement has been three years in the making. The Treasury says trade in financial and insurance services with Switzerland was worth £3.3 billion last year. The hope will be that number gets a boost from today's deal. In London, Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. Yemen's Houthi rebels say that they will continue targeting ships in the Red Sea despite US moves to build an international naval task force to protect trade in the region. The Iran-backed group also warned that it's willing to retaliate if the US attacks Houthi bases, signalling possible further escalation. Senior White House adviser for Energy and Investment Amos Hochstein says that the Biden administration is focused on defensive action. The United States has joined now in a coalition of uh, approximately 10 countries already in making sure that there are patrols, uh, surveillance patrols of aircraft and ships mm-hmm. uh, and t- to take defensive measures if needed. Uh, we continue to have con- uh, other conversations with allies uh, to ensure that we have a coalition. And reason for that is because this is not a U.S. concern. This is a global markets concern. Amos Hochstein there spoke to Bloomberg after the US and UK navies shot down 15 drones launched from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen over the weekend. The rebel group say that they're targeting ships connected to Israel to protest against its military campaign in Gaza. However, shipping firms are concerned that all vessels are now vulnerable with attacks becoming increasingly random. EU finance chiefs have agreed on new rules which define the bloc's ability to invest in key sectors such as defence. The package requires the 27 EU nations to bring their debt down to 60% of GDP, but it offers long-term flexibility in how they do that. But European Commission Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis notes that the rules still need to be ratified before January. There's no time to lose uh, if the EU's new fiscal rules are to be put in place uh, before this, uh, sorry, next year's uh, European uh, elections. 
The close-to-the-wire deal that Dombrovskis helped to broker took months of wrangling. Member states have had major disagreements about balancing the books after a pandemic boom in government spending took borrowing far beyond their agreed limits. A Wall Street firm is leaving the shrinking distressed debt trading market. The choice comes as executives plan to overhaul the business in a bid to grow profits. More on that story now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It is part of its latest retrenchment in Citigroup's effort to reshape the firm in pursuit of of higher returns. According to people briefed on the decision, the move comes as Citigroup undergoes a strategic overhaul under CEO Jane Frazier. The decision to exit the business will remove one of the key players in distressed debt markets and follows a recent decision by the bank to also get out of municipal bond trading and underwriting. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. Shares in Micron jumped post-market on a strong revenue forecast indicating solid data centre demand. The largest US maker of memory chips says that second quarter revenue will come in ahead of analyst estimates between $5.1 and $5.5 billion. Bloomberg's Ian King says that Micron boss Sanjay Merotra wants to make it clear that the firm is now through the worst of an industry-wide slump. Certainly the message that the CEO wants to get across that you know, a certain type of data center demand, and that's related to AI, Um, these big NVIDIA-based systems that we need need a lot of memory. That's great, and that's very profitable, and they're, in fact, sold out of that. Um, And what he also said was, look, you know, smartphones, PCs, we're not talking about huge expansions here, but at least things are getting better after a couple of really brutal years. Ian King there reflecting on the outlook from the Micron CEO, Sanjay Merotra, who used the investor call to repeat his prediction that 2024 will be a rebound year for the industry. Now, Warner Brothers Discovery is in talks to merge with Paramount Global. The deal would combine the two biggest media companies in the world and put HBO and CBS under one roof. According to reports from Axios, the CEOs from both companies met on Tuesday to discuss the move. Bloomberg's Paul Sweeney says that industry players are looking for expansion in a bid to keep up with streamers. The logic behind a lot of these media executives today is I can't get too big here. There's not a scenario where I don't need more scale Mm -hmm. because, again, my competitors are Netflix and and there's some of the big technology companies. Disney's probably in a good spot there. That's what most people feel like. But everybody else has to really think about what to do. And David Zaslav um, is a deal maker. Bloomberg's Paul Sweeney speaking there about the potential deal which would likely face scrutiny from federal regulators. Paramount is also said to be in talks to sell the TV channel BET to a management-led investor group for just under two billion US dollars. Those are a few of today's top stories for you. On the markets then, the MSCI Asia-Pacific Index is currently down by four-tenths of one percent. Stock futures for Europe sinking half of one percent. S&P 500 Imini futures up four-tenths. Ten-year US Treasury yield trading higher two basis points at 387. Now, in just a moment, we are going to be speaking to Bloomberg's consumer goods reporter Dasha Afanasieva, who has a special report out this morning on Ukraine and what individual businesses are trying to do uh, in terms of uh, the war effort uh, in Ukraine as countries increasingly are 
perhaps stuck on how much investment and how much military aid to hand over to Ukraine. So that story coming up in just a moment. But this also caught my eye on the Bluebeg Terminal. We've talked so much, haven't we, about artificial intelligence this year, AI. Well, there's been a Supreme Court decision um, that is really quite fascinating in the UK. They have said no... AI programs cannot be named as inventors for the purposes of patents. It's quite a crucial ruling, I'm told. And it came about um, because of Imagination Engines and the founder there, Stephen Thaler, who wanted to have his AI machine actually stated as the inventor on a couple of uh, patents for a container, for a flashing light. But the judge in this a court case has said no AI isn't a natural person so uh, you know can't be named as the, the sort of patent holder common sense cry some but a thorn in the side perhaps of the UK's ambitions to take a pioneering role in AI according to the critics uh, they say though that because there are so many AI advances this issue could actually return whether or not uh, AI bots can be named as inventors anyway a nice little read on the Bloomberg Terminal if you have the time this morning let's turn our attention though to the UK and Switzerland now which will sign an agreement around financial services a post-Brexit accord to deepen ties between their respective financial centres. And the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, will visit Bern to sign that deal, according to people familiar with the matter. Joining me now for more is our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden. Good morning, Lizzie. Um, What's actually in this deal? How much benefit do we think it could bring? Well, Caroline, this is part of the post-Brexit project of negotiating trade deals around the world, independently of the European Union. You'll remember earlier this year, the UK struck that deal to join CPTPP, that Indo-Pacific trade bloc. And this particular deal has been in the works since Rishi Sunak was Chancellor in 2020. And how significant is it? Well, these are Europe's two biggest financial hubs, and it's all about the mutual recognition of each side's regulatory regimes, easing access for financial services from insurance to banking to asset management. But Caroline, let's be clear, all the trade deals in the world would only scratch the surface of the economic damage of Brexit. The independent fiscal watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility, estimates that around 4% of output in the UK is lost because of Brexit, given that the Mm. EU is and was Britain's biggest trading partner. And the city that this deal benefits has been particularly hit because it was left out of that post-Brexit trade deal with the EU in 2021. And the fact is, London-based firms have had to move billions of dollars out Mm. of of assets and thousands of jobs to just keep working in the block. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really catch-up. But what do we know about these negotiations? I mean, they've been ongoing for a little while, but this has just kind of popped up. I feel like Right before Christmas, we're getting lots of government, government announcements. No, it's a Christmas surprise from Jeremy Hunt here. Uh, as you say, he's expected to go to Bern to sign the agreement this morning. Uh, and the Treasury says it's only possible because... London is free of the shackles of Brussels. How true is that? Well, financial services are an area that the UK actually has regulatory heft. So when you speak to trade experts, they say, yes, it could be better than what Brussels could agree on Britain's behalf. In other words, this Mm. equivalence framework within the EU. And actually, it does pave the way to upgrades for financial services cooperation and maybe a more comprehensive trade deal after that. So uh, it's a good thing that there's less trade friction always. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, So we'll watch then the signing of that deal 
today. The uh, expectation, of course, closely. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for being in the studio with me this morning. Our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden, on that UK-Switzerland agreement on financial services today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, after Russia invaded Ukraine, a Dnipro-based consumer goods company set to work developing a wet wipe suitable for soldiers in the trenches. The result, a khaki green envelope that's designed not to rustle and that can be used for the whole body. The company's patriotic pivot, emblematic of how uh, various companies, makers of products from food to security alarms, all sorts of items, have been trying to ensure their survival and also contributing to the war effort. Now, this is the subject of a deep dive piece that Dasha Afanasieva has been writing, Bloomberg's consumer goods reporter. And she's in the studio with me this morning to tell us a bit about this. Very good to have you on the programme. And this, this is about economic resilience, isn't it, for Ukraine? You've been, speak, you've been speaking to Ukrainian um, business people. What are the ways in which they have had to radically adapt to the war? Winning. Yes, well, we spoke to a few businesses, most of them consumer, uh, and what's happened for a lot of them is that they suffered a massive fall in revenues. That's often come from either because they stopped exporting to Russia and or Belarus, or because they make products like nappies or infant formula that when six million uh, women and children left the country, there went their demand. Mm. Um, and what they've done is they've they've worked really hard to find new export markets. Uh, to they've had to also move their production facilities from areas of fighting into the West. Um, and they've designed new products like the one the one in the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And all of this, of course, amidst the backdrop that is the concern on the Ukrainian part around funding, around both financing, but also military aid coming from the US and the EU. Um, and how much we detect a change in the outlook there. So that is the pressure also on business leaders. Absolutely. And in that sense, a lot of them have found this new sense, new sense of purpose that you know, is also motivating staff because, of course, the tax receipts uh, and the the export revenue that's all supporting the Ukraine economy mm. and giving uh, Ukraine a better chance against Russia. Um, and I think that they appreciate that uh, Ukrainian businessmen appreciate that this is going to be a, a long conflict and that they have to step up and be sustainable. And there's a limited degree, degree to which you know, they can they can depend on anybody externally, as we can see with the deliberations in both uh, the Europe and the US. Mm. Um, it's in some senses quite surprising that amidst such a terrible and widespread war, there is so much business and efforts to keep business going in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, GDP has really bounced back. Yes. And these companies that we spoke to, they're investing, they're taking a risk because I think that it's really an existential question either we keep going or we just stop and they, the businesses we spoke to are choosing to keep going and taking these kinds of risks yeah um 
in terms of your reporting, what else do you think? You, you know, you're having those conversations, I think, must be very revealing with those individuals who are carrying out that business in Ukraine. What, what else did you take away from from those talks? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what struck me is sort of the attitude, the positive attitude in the context where people have been so affected by by the conflict, and it's obviously about life and death. Um, you know, everybody's got people who are either either serving or have even died. And I think what struck me is that sort of positivity and that resilience, um, it, you know, in that context, in that life and death context and that sense of responsibility towards both uh, all of the people in Ukraine, consumers, mm. uh, to the government um, and this commitment to survival. Yes, absolutely, survival. And, and there's even, as I say, amidst a very uh, immensely difficult situation, there's still a lot um, of hope and optimism and discussion about how Ukraine is going to be rebuilt afterwards. And so these business people must be thinking about that too, how to remain in business, you know, for the day that the war actually ends. There's a lot of uh, planning in that sense and a lot of a sense of, OK, we've lost our factories. To, somebody I spoke to, you know, uh, a who wasn't actually in the piece, but a uh, ketchup producer, they'd lost their uh, factories in... Um, the occupied territory factory, factory in the occupied territory, and they've relocated uh, production to kind of other parties that are making the ketchup, etc. For them, they're ramping up all of their products, mayonnaise. And he's already talking about how you know when we rebuild, we're going to have more AI, uh, we're going to have more automation mm. in our factories. So that's that is quite inspiring, really. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.